became the sacrifice for everyone. Hey, this is Betty in Brazil. Glad you've joined us. Um, I've been in Brazil now for two weeks, and wow, has there been a lot going on. We just had a Christmas festival for the people, the unchurched people that live in the hills around the mission. It was a smashing success. Families came, they ate, they got gifts, um, they were blessed with the love of Jesus. And today, um, if you notice, I, I'm not sweating, I'm just glowing, because <laughs> I've been running all over the mission, we all have. We're power washing the steps, we are replanting the garden, we are fixing things, um, just a lot of activity happening here in Brazil. So um, those of you who give to the Brazil, Aaron and her, thank you, because you are really helping wonderful things happen here at the mission and reach far. Randall Cup, for example, has a morning coffee. It started out with just a few homeless men, and now he just has to bake more and more bread. He ran out of bread today, which was a good problem, because they're hearing about it, they're coming, they're even bringing their children, their um, their wives, or you know, some of the women are coming, and that ministry is just growing to people who probably never would have come in our doors before. So um, God is doing so much here in Brazil. So praise God and thank you for your support and your prayers of Brazil. All right, we are going to get back into the, the book of Acts. We are in chapter 9. And last time that I talked um, a week ago, we talked about the beginning of the ministry of Paul. Today, we're going to talk about the beginning of the ministry of Peter as he begins to venture outside of Jerusalem and expand his call from being of the, you know, the inner circle with Jesus and with the Jerusalem church. Um, so we're going to see, we're going to start in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, if you would like to turn there in your Bibles. Um, we see Peter traveling west of, uh, of Jerusalem. He's going to an area called Lida. Lida which today, if you traveled there, it's um, nine miles south of modern Tel Aviv. They're on the coast, the west coast of Israel, and it's about 38 miles west of Jerusalem. Why did Peter travel to Lida? Well, we get a hint in Acts chapter 9, 31, where we read last week, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So that um, word from Jesus, that prophetic word, that you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, this is beginning. It's beginning to spread out. So Peter um, goes away from Jerusalem. He goes west, like I said, and I believe he's going out to visit the new believers, to strengthen them, to build them up, to encourage them. And, you know, just going from house to house to the house churches that are springing up all over the place. When he arrives in Lida um, in Acts 9:33 through 35, he heals a paralyzed man. And... Um, so now we're in Acts 
or 9, verse 36. And that's what we're going to look at today. 36 through about, um, where? Um, 30, through 43. 43. Okay. Let's read verse 36 through 37. Now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it came about at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Let me read the verse that describes this woman, Tabitha, out of another translation, the NIV. It says, about that time, no, wait, in 36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. So what do we know about this woman, Tabitha? We know that she was a disciple. We know that she was well known for her kindness, her generosity, that she cared about the poor, that she was always giving of herself to others. She wasn't famous. She wasn't great. You know, she wasn't an awesome preacher. She didn't have her own YouTube channel. But she was known by many because of her kindness and her generosity. And how she, she tenderly cared so much for other people. So what happens to Tabitha? She gets sick and she dies. So that raises a question for some of us. Why do bad things happen to such good people? You know, have you ever asked that question? God, why do bad things happen to good people? All she's doing is good deeds. All she's doing is caring for others, and she gets sick, and she dies. Well, I want to correct your thinking or help your thinking a little bit, if that's been a, a struggle for you, um, to think that something bad never happens to someone good is not biblical. We, we see it right here. It, it's clear. Here's an example. But some of us have kind of been raised up to think, if I'm a good Christian, if I do everything God wants me to do and I please him, then bad things won't happen to me. And then if bad things do happen, we draw wrong conclusions. Well, I must have sin. I must be displeasing God somehow. I must just be wrong because why would this bad stuff happen if God was pleased with me, right? I think we've all struggled on some level to some degree. And some of us, depending on how we've been taught, it's a huge issue that can totally shipwreck your faith. You know, people's theology is not always God's theology or biblical. And it can, it can cause you to have a crisis with God. It can cause you to become angry with God or become very self-condemning. Spend all your time just analyzing yourself. Like, oh, what's wrong with me? That something bad's happening. It must be me, right? Um, but I want to correct your thinking. That is not biblical. We just read it right here. Here is a godly woman full of the attributes of God. She's not famous, but she was, she was in the Bible. God thought so much of her, 
he named her and told us who she was, that she's an example of, of one of his disciples, one of his saints. Friends, bad things happen all the time. Bad things happen to good people all the time. And you don't have to go far to realize that. All you have to do is study a little bit about the persecuted church throughout the centuries and today. People who are giving their all for Jesus, whose hearts are pure and totally given over to him, very bad things happen to them, right? Amen. They're, they're separated from their families. They're thrown in prison. They're tortured, beaten. Sometimes they lose their lives for doing all the right things. And my hunch is we may be experiencing more and more of that in the future. So I want us to correct our thinking about that and not fall into that trap, which is a lie from the devil, that if bad things happen to you, it must be your fault, that God God doesn't let bad things happen to good people. Remember good old Job in Job 13, 15? I'm sure I can quote it, but I'll go ahead and turn to it here. Job 13, 15, he just made this statement, though he slay me, yet... I will trust him. I will hope in him. And at the end of the book of Job, God tells Job he spoke correctly. He spoke right. That though bad things are happening that I don't understand, I will put my trust in him. I will hope in him. It was his friends who came around and were saying, you better analyze yourself. You better see where you sinned. You better find out where you fell short. That's why all this bad stuff's happening. And at the end, God told them, they were speaking wrong and foolishness. Amen. So um, that's my first um, first point about the life of this this precious woman, Tabitha. So in verse 37, we read that they washed and prepared her body for burial, which was the custom of both the Jews and the Greeks. Um, because her name is given both in Hebrew and in Greek, we don't really know what her origin was, perhaps she was Greek and she joined the Jewish believers and began to go by Dorcas, the the Hebrew name. Um, You know, God has now broken down the wall so that there's no dividing wall. Jew and Gentile are the same. So the church was beginning to mix and um, Jews and Gentiles able to worship together for the first time. so anyway, they, they took tender care of this woman. They loved her. They washed and prepared her, and they put her in an upstairs room. Now, in Jerusalem, this would not be possible. In Jerusalem, the Jewish law was very strict. The body had to be buried within 24 hours. But outside of Jerusalem, up to 72 hours was allowed for people to come and, and just... Um, have their grieving, have their shiva, <laughs> shiva as, they, as the Jewish people do still today, and, and mourn and say goodbye. Um, in John 11, when Jesus came because his friend Lazarus had died, you may recall, he'd already been buried because that was in near Jerusalem. It was in Bethany, which is just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, and they had to follow the strict law that he had to be buried within 24 hours. And that's why Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, he's going to smell bad by now. You can't go into that tomb. He's been laying inside that tomb for three days. 
um, because he was already buried. But that was not the case with Tabitha. They put her in an upper room, which makes the way for Peter's miracle. Now, this could be the end of the story. You know, Tabitha was a wonderful, godly woman, and we see her life, the impact she had on others, and something bad happened to her. She died, and end of the story. That could be the end. But this story is a but God story. <laughs> Don't you love but God stories? <laughs> something happens, but God. So we're going to look at, at the but God story here. And today, as we face our own trials and losses and sadness and events, like Tabitha's friends and loved ones, you know, today we are going through hard times. Amen? I mean, nobody can deny it. Uh, We are being tested and tried. We're being sorted and sifted, and there's intense spiritual warfare going on. And... um, We just can't wish these bad times away. We can't um, put our heads in the sand and pretend like they aren't happening. Nor can we despair. Nor nor can we give up. Remember Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Yet I will trust him. So despair is not an option. Um, And the fact is, The harder these times get, the more biblical prophecy is being fulfilled. We are supposed to look up because Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. But the fact is, we are going through hard times in America, in Brazil, in all the nations of the world like I've never seen in my 62 years. It's happening globally. It's happening worldwide. And we are being called to endure. It's exactly like really the beginning of of the church in Acts 8.1. It says, and that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So persecution is happening, difficulties. Um, We are being called to endure. However, we need to have hope in our hearts and make room always for a but God. At any time, God can interfere with whatever trial you're going through, whatever particular stress and just as you're being tested and tried to the end of your your limits, you know, the end of your rope. Always have that in your heart. There is there can always be a but God. <laughs> He can come through and do something amazing and surprising and wonderful for you just when you think you've reached your end. And that is that is um, the case in this story. It is a but God. So verse 38. She's she's laying. They've prepared her. She's in the upper room and verse 38. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, do not delay to come to us. So Peter, we know from verse 32 to 35, he was in another little town about two to three miles away. You can see it on the map today. It's called Lod, L-O-D. And um, at least some of the saints 
here in Lida had had expectation that there could still be a miracle. And so they they sent word to Peter. You know, they were believing that a miracle could still happen. So they say, come at once. Hurry, Peter, don't delay. And I believe that God wants us to know that bad stuff happens. We usually don't understand why, but he wants us always expectant and hopeful that a miracle can happen at any time. There can always be a but God. So in verse 39, there's more description of this um, this saint, um, um, Tabitha, or Dorcas. Verse 39. And Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with him. With them, sorry. While she was with them. I read that verse and it just makes me think of my mom, you know. Um, Tabitha lived to serve others, to care for others. So here we see these women gathered around and they're saying, look, this is what she made for me. Oh, look, this is she made this for me. Isn't this beautiful? Um, that just makes me think of my own mom, who who her joy of life was just to to do things and care for others. That's the kind of heart, the kind of character this this dear woman Tabitha had. In verse forty, now we're going to see Peter's ministry developing. The next couple chapters are about Peter. Last time we talked about the beginning of of Paul. But we're going to see now all the things that Jesus imparted to Peter are beginning to work. They're beginning to work themselves out. I just just love that. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples on their last night, their last Passover Seder in Jerusalem, he promised them, in John 14, uh, 12, he said, truly, truly, which, you, which really means really, really, because I know you don't believe it. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. He, he tells them that, and then in verse 29, he says, And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. He knew as they were sitting around that Passover table, they didn't believe what he was saying. We're going to do greater works than the Lord. And um, incidentally, this doesn't mean higher in quality. It means higher in quantity, greater in quantity. Jesus could only be one place. At a time, he, he constrained himself to a human body and he moved about Israel doing his works. But he is telling them, you are going to scatter all over the place and all of you will be doing the works you have seen me do by the power of the same Holy Spirit that worked through me. He's going to work through you. And they're sitting there going, yeah, right. We just don't want you to go away, Jesus. That's all they could think of was the now um, no, we want you with us. Uh, don't leave us. We want you here now. And he was prophesying into the future saying, you're going to be going everywhere 
doing the things you've seen me doing. And he says, I know you don't believe it now, in verse 29, but when it begins to happen, you'll believe it. So Peter is now in that process. Um, it's happening. It's beginning to happen in the formation of his ministry, and he's believing it, <laughs> you know? So um, as Peter comes in, we're going to look at verse 40. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Obviously, sometimes we think Peter was just always, his brain was just going all over the place. And it was. But he obviously was paying attention sometimes with Jesus. And he learned some things from Jesus. And the most important thing is the same Holy Spirit that worked through Jesus to do his ministry is now working through Peter. So let's let's look at how Peter's methodology here parallels the methodology he learned from Jesus and the methodology of the Holy Spirit who is often consistent in his in his ways. Peter by the after all he was present with Jesus all three occasions that are recorded in scripture when Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Jesus may have raised many more people from the dead, but the scripture records three. The first one is in Luke 8, where he raised the daughter of Jairus. Remember that in Capernaum? Little daughter of Jairus. Um, he raised her from the dead. In Luke 7, he came across a funeral procession of the widow in a, in a town called Naim. And her, it was her only son that they were burying in the funeral procession. And he raised up the son and gave her back to his mother in Naim in Galilee. And the third one is the one we talked about a minute ago, Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. <clears throat> so Peter was with Jesus those three times. And I'm sure he watched Jesus, observed him, and saw how Jesus went about the ministry. And just like Jesus at Capernaum, when he ministered to Jairus' family and the little girl, it says that Peter sent them all out. Remember how Jesus did that in in the house of Jairus in Capernaum? Let's let's look at that for a second. It's in Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Luke 8, 49. I'm not going to read the whole story, but just um, starting with verse 49 in Luke 8. He's in Capernaum. While he was still speaking... Someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered them, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. What condition did Jesus give them? Believe. Only believe, and she will be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping 
and lamenting for her, just like the widows were weeping and lamenting over Tabitha. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she rose immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. (laughs) I love how practical Jesus is. (laughs) Give her something to eat. But you notice that what Peter learned from Jesus here was he put them all out. Same thing Jesus did. When they came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except his inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John. Why? Why did he say everyone else has to leave? Because they were full of unbelief. They were laughing. She's dead. What are you going to do now? She's dead. They were mocking. They were scoffing at the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when he walked on this earth, He didn't inherently come with the omnipotence. That's a theological word that means all power. He didn't come with the omnipotence from heaven. He was in a human body and he was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him. So he did his miracles in the power of the same Holy Spirit that Peter had to depend on for this event in in Lida. So unbelief, it quenches the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you want the Holy Spirit to just leave the room, unbelief will do it. (laughs) And that's why Jesus made the promise, it can be done for those who believe. So what Jesus did, if you notice his, his ministry, he would create an environment where he controlled the environment. He said, I only want an environment of belief, of faith. This is a reason why he could do no miracles in Nazareth, because they scoffed at him. Who's he? He's Joseph's son. You know, they didn't believe. And the power of the Holy Spirit was not free and loosed to to move through Jesus in that environment in Nazareth. So Jesus came into the house of Jairus here and he created the environment of faith. He only brought Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents. So Peter learned this from from Jesus and it says the first thing he did was he sent them all out. Because they are, what are they doing? What mindset do they have? They're, They're weeping, they're lamenting, they're ruminating on the past. Oh, she did so many kind things for us. They're already mourning as if it's all done, right? And God wants to do something new, but they're so caught up in their mourning and thinking, oh, she did so many nice things for us. Oh, we're going to miss her so much that he said, you need to leave (laughs) because God wants to do something new. Now, Peter does something a little different than Jesus um, in the story with Jairus' daughter, it says Peter sent them out and knelt down and prayed to God. So before he addressed the body, the first thing he did 
was he knelt down and prayed to God. I like this because it shows us that Peter knew he didn't have the power in himself. It wasn't Peter has been an apostle. Peter's been with Jesus. Peter's got this great level of spirituality. You know, send for Peter because he's off. He knew he had nothing. Uh, and doesn't that encourage you? You know, you and I need to know that, that if we are called upon by people or by God sending us, oh, you're needed. You know, there's a need over here. You don't need to go, oh, I, I need to be super spiritual. I just need to have it all together. I need to be at, worked up into this place of spirituality so that I have the power. I'm sorry, you don't have it. I don't have it. And so Peter's kneeling down shows that he knew he was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit and God. Just like Jesus was always trying to tell his disciples, I do nothing of myself. <laughs> he was always trying to get it across to them that he didn't, he didn't bring this omnipotent power from heaven. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit moved, Jesus didn't move. Mm-hmm. And so now Peter is, is imitating that. He's emulating what he learned from his master. So I want to correct your thinking on this too. If you've been under this kind of pressure, I want the power to raise the dead. You know, I want to just fast and pray and live this spiritual life. And I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't fast. I'm just saying if your goal in it is so that you somehow walk in this mighty power that everywhere you go, you're a super Christian, um, that is not biblical. <laughs> Peter knew the first thing as he came into this room, he had to humble himself before God and say, God, I've got nothing. I can do nothing. My power comes from you. Know where your power comes from. He didn't decree and declare. You know, he knelt down humbly. And that, that's what it means to move and to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It means that you know you are you're totally dependent on him. It's not that you have a gift. It's that the spirit moves through you. Uh, I don't like this idea of like people taking these tests to find out what gift they have. And then you score it and then you say, well, I have this gift and I have that gift. That I personally am very put off by that because you need the whole Holy Spirit moving through you to do the, the purpose and the work of God. Um, it isn't that you have certain gifts. He may move through you in different ways more frequently that you say, oh, I often see the Holy Spirit move through in this particular way, but it is still the Holy Spirit moving and manifesting through you. It's not that you have a gift. My student, Kathy, here has a Hi. question. Let me, I'm going to move the mic and let her just read that again. She has a scripture she wants to share. Kathy, come on in. Hi. Here's Kathy. That reminds me of the verse Ephesians 1.3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Yes. So we don't have the power. We don't have the spiritual blessing. We don't possess it. 
And so Peter knew that. And when the power came to him from God, then he spoke over her what God told him. There's a real movement, in, at least in the United States today, to decree and declare. I decree and declare this. I decree and declare that. But you have to be careful with that. Because if it's just you thinking, I've been given power and authority to decree this to come forth and declare that, I'm afraid there could be some pitfalls. You need to hear from God. Peter heard from God that he wanted this woman raised from the dead. And then he could turn to her and command that she be, she could decree. He could declare for her to have life come back into her body. But it all comes, it starts with God, and it's God moving through a vessel. You're just a conduit. Peter was just a conduit of the power of God. Amen? Okay, so let's let's finish this up. So amazingly, she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Imagine what a party they had to have their dear friend back in their midst and um, know that they still had many years of fellowship together. So in verse 42, it says, And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Same result as the raising of Lazarus. Um, in John 11, 9 through 11, it says, let's see. What am I doing? <laughs> oh, I didn't mean that. Okay, this is after the, the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus come forth. It's 11, verse 43. Verse 44, he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Verse 45, many therefore of the Jews who had come to Mary beheld what he had done and believed in him. So there's a point to this. Um, The raising of Lazarus caused many to believe. It also caused Persecution to come against Jesus and his followers. Here in Lydda, where Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, what's the result? It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. When I say Joppa, that's kind of the greater area. It's a big port just south of Tel Aviv, and so Lydda, Lod, these other villages I've named are all kind of part of greater Joppa. So the result of this miracle, this but God, is that many came to believe. And that is an important part of this story as well. Because I submit to you that miracles, as wonderful as they are, they are not an end unto themselves. God is compassionate. God has mercy. God is a healer. It is in his nature to heal and to give life. But the number one purpose of a miracle such as this or another wonder or miracle is to expand the kingdom of God, to bring souls in. 
to cause those who are in unbelief to believe. That is the number one priority. If we get fixated on signs and wonders and raising the dead, and we become less concerned about salvation of, of lost souls, we become less concerned about lives being totally transformed and sanctified, um, if we come, become less concerned and joyful about people moving out of the darkness of unbelief and confusion into faith and become less concerned about the kingdom of God, which incidentally Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, then we're not balanced. We don't have the heart of God. Is God a miracle worker? Yes. Is God a life giver? Is he a healer? Does he have mercy and compassion for our sufferings? Absolutely. But even if we have a great miracle, we're still going to die. Our life will still end. <laughs> even if we have a great healing, the thing he wants is our eternal life. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to be gathered into his family and belong to him forever. Ever, so we can share eternity with him. So if we get so fixated on chasing signs and wonders and miracles, then we're, we're off balance. Our trajectory is heading us the wrong way. So make sure you believe in signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit and you're waiting for the next but God. You're expectant. You have hope that as dark and difficult as things get, You have, there's always a chance and a probability that God's going to do something wonderful. As much as you hope in that, remember to keep it within the context that his main goal is to bring his family home and have you be part of his family and others part of his family and and to be with him for eternity. Amen? Amen. So it became known and many believed. That's that's the results we're after. Praise God. Verse 43, and it came about that he stayed many days in Joppa with a certain tanner, Simon, which is just like a lead in. He stayed many days. He fellowshiped with the saints. He encouraged them. He, he built them up. He taught them. But this just leads us right into the next story where Peter gets to go to graduate school <laughs> and get his degree in learning to love the Gentiles. And that's quite a school that Peter has to go through. So it begins in chapter 10. So stay tuned and we'll stick with Peter for a while and see the things that God brings him through his graduate school of learning to love the Gentiles. Amen. It's great to be with you from Brazil, and we'll see you next time. God bless. He gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see his mighty hand.